Devon Carty is a thinker. Devon Carty is a doer. He is sometimes controversial. However, he is always willing to teach and assist anyone in need. These days, Devon has rekindled his passion for restoring vintage cars, trucks, and SUVs. The brands range from Britain's Land Rover and Italy's Alfa Romeo to Sweden's Saab. He says that the process brings him joy. Just as these cars migrated and ended up in junkyards on the Caribbean island of Anguilla, Davon too has left the island's shores to, as he put it, find wisdom. Fifteen years ago, Davon saw the need to improve the music industry on Anguilla. Like many others, he saw an abundance of raw talent, but there was no real structure. With a group of friends and business partners, Davon went to work. In time, he would create the band British Dependency that would tour internationally and organize for artists to perform at New York's Radio City Music Hall, Washington, D.C.'s Warner Theater, and at venues in Morocco, San Andreas, Colombia, Guadeloupe, and venues in 31 cities across the United States. He also assisted in getting Anguillian artist Deanna Mussington in position to launch her international career on the British version of X Factor. You see, Davon by nature is a restorer. Not unlike the cars, he has taken time, patience, and has paid strict attention to detail in recrafting not only artists, but by extension, an entire industry. Perhaps his ability to encourage people comes from his days as a social worker. In addition to his cars, Davon, along with his business partners, are now headed toward revolutionizing everyone's perception of what a beach bar is. Seemingly, the best is yet to come. This is the story, thus far, of Davon Carty. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Today, I have with me manager, entrepreneur, man about town, businessman. <laughs> well, I don't know what other title I can give you. Davon Carty. Welcome to Planet 30. <laughs> I take everything you give me, man. What's up? <laughs> Davon, tell us, what, what were your earliest uh, memories of music? Uh, earliest memories of music. Uh, my dad and my mom were huge um, music consumers. Um, records, Anonymous Scurry, Ibn Tombi, um, the country and western stuff, uh, early Sparrow, um, Bank Banks, Roots and Herbs in the um, late 70s. So at home with my mom and dad. And, and, and was it the... Just the experience of listening to music that sort of brought you into it? Because you, you, you sort of have a, had a different career before music. Um, I've always been a, first and foremost, a consumer of music. Um, my involvement in the music industry didn't come really from a passion for music. It came from um, the fact that I'm a social worker and a philanthropist. And uh, it was a, really a desire to help people um, get their dreams accomplished and things done. That's why it drifted towards music. I could see um, people in Angola trying to get um, things done and they just weren't. Um, they were just having a tough time. What was it about, um, and not just Anguilla, music, you know, musicians as a whole in the Caribbean region, what were some of the obstacles that they were facing in getting their product out there or even their careers off the ground? Um, it's not for lack of talent. What it is really is that the business end of it is missing. You know, um, investment is missing. Um, the managers is missing. The entire working back end of, of music, of, of what makes the business of music tick and therefore allows musicians to uh, be able to take care of themselves. That is the part that was missing. So 
you know, the songwriters and the singers and the, the, the instrument players and the characters are all there. But it is the, the back end that's, that's missing. Interesting, interesting. So you sort of get involved in the industry. Tell us, tell us your um, journey through the industry. You know, just in a nutshell. You started with a. You started as a drummer, correct? Um, I started as a drummer. I, I've always been fascinated by the drum, and um, I got to the point where I was invited down to one of the local um, scenes by by a friend, and. Um, I just found myself just, you know, being re-fascinated by the drum at about maybe 27, 28. And um, listening, I thought to myself, you know, that it would be good to have my sons do what it is I um, had a passion for, you know, and um, that was drumming. So I went home and bought a drum set for my sons, and they never learned to play, but I did. Interesting, interesting. And so yep. you, you took it from drumming to eventually forming your own band. Was it Concepts or I can't? Actually, I took it from drumming and um, uh, it was Ash Hot invited me down to Donald's. And um, we just got to this idea of, of uh, messing around and helping uh, himself and Jane Rogers further their um, endeavors as, uh, as artists. So I took it upon myself to reach around and um, contact some folks about getting them a couple shows outside of Angola, and we were successful at that. We went up to the first Monstrat um, Jazz Festival, and um, from there just came back down, and it just opened my my mind creating, but um, not not getting anywhere, you know. So um, that really was the 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 beginning. Of, of, of getting into music on that level before um, and of course um, assisted in um, productions for groups like Better Band um, initially um, Vito you know and um, but but that was more from a, a sponsorship perspective speak to that and, for a minute know, just giving the, ideas the merging the merging of um, you know the idea of 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 corporations in the Caribbean endorsing what was popular on the local music scene. In many countries, that wasn't a thing. How were you able to convince... Um, Go ahead. Yeah, it, I, didn't, I didn't have to convince anybody. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really marketing. And I was um, distributing Carib in Angola at that point in time. And I was looking for creative ways to get the brand out. And um, music was a natural... So um, I hooked up with or teamed up with um, Maxine Herbert and, and, and the guys at, um, at at Vito at that time and ended up um, sponsoring um, the band for carnivals and um, album productions and getting them down to Trinidad for exposure and um, finding those trailers, you know, that the bands use for um, Last Lap and Juve and the street jams, you know, getting those into Angola, imported into Angola and set up um, so that we can take um, the band and um, the band's visibility and carnival to the next level. Interesting. So you were sort of the one that, that there was, a, you assisted in birthing the mega trailer for carnivals in the, in the sub-region, really? Um, well, I don't know about sub. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, there was that was happening in St. Martin already, and that's where we saw the, the the trailers from our um, associates in St. Martin. You know, who would again um, coming out of Trinidad. Um, it, it was in Trinidad already, so it's kind of like it was easy for us to take it to another level uh, via Trinidad connections and just um, repeating what we've seen down in Trinidad. Okay. Okay. Now, who, who, who did you work with uh, on your own? I mean, after your drumming, obviously you went into bands. Name some of the bands that you created or some of the entities. Um, immediately, um, again, it's picking up from that relationship down at Janos and the first Ash and Jane um, tour. And um, that group disassembling and uh, deciding to continue to work with Jane Rogers and um, got back into writing for her record and um, wrote the song 
for what is what really turned out to be a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic record. The Anguilla Jazz Festival was happening at that point in time, so I was able to via that um, platform strike a fantastic relationship with with Sir Michael Carvin and lots of um, uh, jazz musicians. And also through my relationship with Banky Banks, um, I had access to lots of really, really great um, reggae musicians. Um, you know, um, Cat Core and um, Tony Eruption and uh, Joseph, um, Ken Joseph from, from Culture. You know, just a long list of, of, of people who I were like fans of of that point in time who were drafted in to help us make an album on a different level, you know, and um, also through Michael Carvin being able to go up to, to New York and I put together the Angular Music Production um, and Publishing Entity and uh, going up to New York and working with uh, Dave Bennett and being able to produce um, shows and, and um, display them at Radio City Music Hall. So that was, I think, I would say the, the real professional aspect of me um, came from my involvement with Michael Carvin, um, with Capcore, and the Jane Rogers Project, you know, just gave me a lot of insight and the desire. I, I, I was um, convinced after that, that, you know, I could do things that very few people were able to accomplish um, coming out of that world. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the British Dependency Project. I mean, that that came after Jane Rogers, and um, sort right. of exploded. Yeah, um, the origin of that still is the Jane Rogers um, project. Um, we done this really great album, and we done Radio City Music Hall, and we've been um, shopping um, product, not production, distribution, and marketing deals, and we got this really fantastic offer to do. Um, Blue Note um, clubs uh, around the world. Uh, the mathematics of, of the whole um, uh, touring Jane Rogers at that point in time didn't make any sense. You know, it didn't. It, it, it just wasn't going to work. For example, if you were going to get paid seven thousand dollars to do a show, it was costing you twelve thousand dollars to get to the show. You know, so. Um, the, the origin of British dependency is that looking at it and recognizing that uh, it could be twofold. You could um, take your people further as an Anguillian musicians, and at the same time, uh, because it's homegrown and it's a unit that is um, growing and developing uh, with one mission um, in mind, you know, you could do it at a cheaper cost, you know, so. That was the mindset, but you know, you come back home, and of course, it's difficult to find musicians on the level who um, were accompanying Jane Rogers at that point in time. You know, the Camille Gainers um, of the world, um, just really, really mind-blowing, top-notch New York musicians. Yeah. So tell us Thank more. You. Tell us more about British Dependency, um, the band, and 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 uh, and what it ended up being. And yeah. meaning to Anguilla. Yeah, well, um, again, British Dependence is the descendant of, of, of what it is you're trying to accomplish with Jane Rogers' project. Um, just putting, um, or rather, I'd like to use the word building Anguillian musicians who were tour ready and production ready and 100% dedicated to their craft and, and their dreams of, um, of, of being an artist, you know, and musicians. So that's what British Dependence is. And, you know, um, Looking at it, we knew that we would have to not only be creative, but we would have to be marketable, you know, hence the origin of, of the name itself. I mean, uh, we were representing ourselves coming from Anguilla with a certain political history, uh, a certain social history, and we thought that it would be um, necessary, you know, to be that. We understood that we weren't in a place to be just pop. You know, so it would really be a bunch of local um, Angolians touring the world telling their story. You know, so that in itself, it gives you an idea of what the chemistry of British dependence is, is all about. And really taking um, talented musicians with absolutely no experience um, in the music industry um, and uh, going out and figuring the shit out. Mm. 
you know and we did we did some really incredible things i mean you know having toured like we've toured recorded where we've recorded said what we've said and we continue to be groundbreaking you know so um, british dependency was never intended to be a popular group you know but um definitely something that was created to make a mark to influence and to inspire understood understood what are some of your uh, most memorable moments from your career thus far <laughs> every single one you know um, everything from uh, taking a bunch of, 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 of um, fellow islanders and making stuff happen you know every single day is is memorable I mean not all of it is good memories but that's life you know um, every single step of was incredible you know, uh, we accomplished things that we didn't that we could you know I mean um, prop had a, an idea to, to write a song and, and record it and that in itself was difficult and then next thing you know you're not only writing a song you're recording you're, you're, you're doing an album you know and um, it's not an album of standards it's an album uh, an album of covers it's an album of, of original work you know, and then um, you've got to shoot the videos. And then you've got to press the CDs. And then you've got to get that on radio and get it played. And then you've got to uh, pick up the phone and respond when business comes in, you know, like when we flew up to, to, to Guadeloupe to work on um, Death in Paradise, you know, that was out of the blue. And being able to pull off your tour um, uh, 31 states you know um, in the US everything from all forays into Canada and Africa and the rest of the Caribbean and also you know meeting people who make stuff happen you know um, those people who behind the scenes the, the, the machines that make uh, the music industry take right right you mentioned touring what are some of your uh, mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite destinations from where you've uh, toured? Um, definitely Africa. Definitely Africa. Um, Which country? Oh, Cote d'Ivoire, Morocco. You know, passing through um, Burkina Faso. You know, um, into Colombia. You know, some of the most special places I've been, you know, places that I never knew um, existed. Um, touring the U.S. because of what the U.S. means to us and the relationship we have with the United States of America um, was special. You know, moving everywhere from Florida straight down to Minneapolis and seeing America and feeling America and hearing America. Um, that's different level. You know, and um, getting down to California and going from California up to um, Portland, Oregon, you know, and seeing those visuals and again, meeting the people, performing for the people, um, just just so much, you know, just so much. Um, again, um, doing shows in Jamaica, for example, the Mecca of Reggae, and um, finding love in Jamaica, you know, um, again, always special. Uh, New York City. New York City is an incredible place. Um, again, it's kind of like to, to play in New York City and play where we've played in New York City. Um, again, you know, um, from the BB King to um, the SOBs, um, straight down to the belly ups and all the fantastic venues that you only hear about. Um, in movies or read about in magazines you know it's mind-blowing to, to to do that who inspired you artist wise coming up um definitely banky uh banky banks i'm a huge prince fan um bob marley uh yellow man gregory isaacs um ipi and tombi um cindy Lauper. Mm. Uh, Color Me Bad you know I've, I've, I've run such a huge range it's a big you range. know Maestro yeah Maestro um, Trinidadian Californian Shadow you know uh, Marshall Montano you know they're just so much so much of them Masood Siddiqui um, it's, it's really a very very long list 
Yeah, I'm still listening and learning, you know. Um, everything that's happening right now that's recent, uh, looking at rap and how it's changed, you know, um, the two packs to right now up to the kids who I don't understand what they're doing, but just looking at the vibe that they have, you know. So there is, uh, it never stops. It never stops. It never What are some of your favorite albums? Wow. Um, just Legend, a few. Bob Marley. Um, Nana Muscuri Passport um, Juan Luis Guerra uh, Bachata Rosa um, uh, I told you Bob uh, Banky Banks Roots and Herbs Jane Rogers um, Under My Skin uh, it's just like every single Prince record that you can think about every single Bob record that you can think about um, uh, every uh, Peter Tosh you know um um, Ake Becker, uh, Midnight, Otto St. Croix, one of my favorites in recent discoveries in at least the past 12 years. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's not a short list at all. Right, right. And is, do you see any new artists in the quote-unquote mainstream or even on Anguilla or anywhere else that you think, uh, as they say, will blow? Um... I'm an avid listener of music as an art and music as professionally done. I see what's happening today has more to do with imagery and trickery than it is um, either musical art or um, even lyrics. Yeah, you know, it's all about a vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we have captured the essence of that. So I don't know. Uh, if we're able to do popular the way that popular is done. So uh, somebody from this region blowing, you know, the the game has changed so much, you know, there's so much more involved uh, from social media's perspective in building numbers and also what people are prepared to do to to attract the the public's um, attention, you know, be it um, just um, outlandish behavior, um, to having the required amount of social media followers. You know, a lot of us come from small states and we're not able to build um, beyond, you know, a, a 20,000 following, you know, which definitely isn't a, a huge figure to um, interest anybody, you know, who is who is um, going to be investing in, in, in your art, you know, and looking for returns. So I'm not too sure um, if blowing in the traditional sense um, is possible with this sort of um, with the sort of, 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 of climate and the, the way the game has shifted, you know. So I think we have been we, we have to look at what's possible for us. You know, there are always people who are interested in, in artists coming from different spaces. So there's definitely the tour, and then there are people who are interested in a certain sort of art because it's from a certain sort of place. So in other words, reggae, soca, dancehall. Uh, you know the standard Caribbean affair. Um, can you explain the components of a good band? If I want to put a band together, um, first of all, let me ask you this: Do you think there's a space for bands? Is there space for bands anymore in the music industry? Uh, yeah, definitely. There's always a space for 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 a known entity. You know, um, if there are festivals that are geared towards live music definitely there's space for bands yeah so uh yeah there's always a space for bands because there's there are shows and festivals that are geared towards that and there are consumers for it so yeah definitely i think that there's space for bands um i don't imagine that there's a lot of space for bands with overwhelming um counts of musicians you know i see it's difficult um touring past a, a five piece you know unless you're already established act so that's why I always push bands to, to let's say, max um, five, especially if you're just emerging. You know, if you're well-established and you got a couple of hits and you're, you know, uh, making money, well, that's a different story. You can do whatever you want. But when you're coming out and you're not a known entity yet, it's very, very difficult to get somebody booked um, who is above a five-piece. Right. What are the, co- the the elements, you know, that make a good band, in your opinion? Um. Uh, it's it's difficult um, togetherness, you know, especially in this time is is critical. We are past the era of the superstar, and we are past the era of the ego. Um, it's all minds um, t- 
together to, to, to figure stuff out. Um, the individuals in the band, not only the lead singer, must understand the role of character and being able to play a show. Um, it's about uh, versatility. You know, it's about being able to um, represent more than yourself, but also um, philosophy and a culture. It's about um, good business. It's about trust. It's about um, consciousness and graciousness. And um, just a whole bunch of things that make people good people to work with. Understood. Understood. How does an artist... You mentioned a, a little while ago that... We're in a difficult climate in the music industry. That's a given. Mm -hmm. um, especially coming from small islands or small states and not having that crowd around you. What advice can you give to an artist that is um, that wants to enter the industry? What are some of the first steps they, they would have to take? Um, beyond what you're doing locally, which is um, writing, rehearsing, getting exposure, um, learning to negotiate. As soon as you get a chance, you you go. You know, you get on a boat or a plane and you get your um, experience and your exposure up in different places and different cultures. What, well, but what are some, some of the things specifically, um, you know, is it, is it should, do you recommend them being heavy on social media? Uh, what is it's sort of a chicken and egg uh, sort of situation? Is it the music that's more important now, or is it the finessing the technology that's more important? I think they're both um, extremely important, but I do believe that an understanding of today's music consumer is 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 critical. You know, um, anybody who's happening nowadays um, is either significantly there on social media or knows how to get attention. Mm -hmm. So the technological aspect of it is um, more important now than it ever was. Now, what are some of the things that artists need to pay attention to? Uh, and, and in particular, some of the things that artists tend to be stubborn about. What are some of the um, you know mishaps or perhaps some of the things that you've seen artists trip over almost every time in, 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 their, in developing, while developing? Well, it's, it's all about you on stage, but it's definitely not all about you in the conference room or in the, the, the band house or when you're negotiating or when you're trying to get people to buy into your dream. You know, um, ego on stage and self-confidence on stage are huge, huge tools. But... Those are the things that I see often trip artists when, first of all, they're not prepared to take advice. Um, and that's okay. You know, if you know what you want to do and you know how to do it, I think you should do it, you know, and, and, and just go and do it. You know, don't wait around for anybody to do it for you. But it must be understood that as much as playing the guitar and playing the drums and, 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 and using your voice and writing the song are all um, highly developed skills. So uh, the other aspects of the music industry, be it publishing, the legal services, the management services, the touring services, all those things come together to form what is really just the machine of which you, the musician, are really just a part of a part of it. You know, you are just um, a cog in, in, in the grand wheel. Speak to that a little bit, the business of music. <laughs> Years ago, I remember you saying to me, the business is so ugly because the music is so beautiful. How, how important is That's, it for artists to know the business side? Today, extremely. Extremely. You know, as a matter of fact, it's always been one of the biggest things in the music industry is who's got ripped off and who didn't get ripped off. You know, and if artists um, were more savvy about the business end of it, a lot of them, and maybe the industry itself, would have been more successful now than it is currently. You know, so don't shy away from it. Don't shy away from it. I mean, you still, you, you have to know what's going on. You don't have to do the work yourself, but it's good to know what's going on. It's good to know what's going on, you know, with your management team, um, with your touring team, with your publishing team. It's just good to know how it works generally, even if you're not hands-on. How important, I mean, I, I'd like you to speak to 
the importance of relationships, you know, both as an artist, as a manager in the industry? Um, relationships in the industry are the difference between success and failure, you know, as with every other human endeavor. No man is an island. The trust is critical. Respect is critical. I can't say enough how much it is the difference between not only success and failure, but the difference between being able to barely make a living and suffering and being able to do what you love to do for the rest of your life and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen I've seen too many artists who who fall into not understanding what happens to get them to where they are trying to go. You know, the phone calls, the negotiations, most importantly, the networking. You know, um, if any artist were to ask me what single bit of advice I would give to an artist, it would be simply this. The fan does not put you on stage. It is the festival owner, the club owner, the production guy, the director. It is the small network of people behind the scenes who make the decisions to book you that put you on stage. And those are the people who you should perform for in front of the fans. But those are the people you've got to satisfy. It's the same people on radio, on television. You know, it's the the people who set the playlist up on radio stations. You know, it's the people who decide to use your music on film. You know, it's the people who decide that you are good enough and uh, enticing enough to use your work in commercials. And also the fan number, the, the, the person who comes to your show is critical. That's another source of revenue, but they are not the people ultimately who make the decisions to book you. And when you're booked and you go and you perform at your very best and the audience loved you, they don't make the decision to book you again. But because they love you, the person who makes the decision to book you again will book you again. Fascinating. I mean, well put. Well put. Now... Yeah, you know, and Crispin, I can't, I can't, um, I can't say that enough. It's as you, as you, when you get your first significant book in, uh, you go and you talk to that music and you talk to that sound engineer. You look for that booking agent. You look for the guy who is behind the bar and shake his hand that works at that venue. You look for all those people behind the scenes who are not there just to watch your show, but to help your show work. Have a fantastic relationship with them. Because those are the people ultimately that you've got to impress. You know, yes, you've gone to do the music, so the music is a gimme. But it's the relationships now that gets you to come back all the time. You deliver on stage, you please the audience, they spend their money they will make the decision to book you again. Because believe it or not, you're not the only one who's going to please an audience at that venue. Got it. And I'm assuming this is how you, in particular, were able to develop such high-level relationships. You know, someone who who was just coming from, you know, social work and philanthropy and a tiny island, you you definitely do have some, some major connections. So how, how do you go about establishing such connections? Is it, is it just a matter of what you just mentioned, paying attention to detail? What's the secret? Um, ultimately, I think everybody who I know, you know, have a really good relationship in the music industry. It's, it's, they're all people who ultimately want to help people. And they're passionate about the art, not only for the art, but they're really passionate about helping people. I can say that, you know, to one and all, you know, every single one of them, you know, if, if they see um, a young kid who is really talented, struggling, they don't mind picking up the phone and, and, and help them, you know, even if it's just advice and a conversation, you know, so the philanthropy part of it, let's not underestimate how significant it is in the music business. 
the music business nowadays is less about business and more about passion for the art and passion for the artist. So when the artist gets all tipped over about exactly what it is they're trying to do and who they are, and it runs across the grain of the philanthropy, and it runs across the grain and the passion for, of, of, of those people who are stepping to the forefront to assist, you know, often at their detriment. You know, they're, they're, they're funding things and giving money um, and putting that money in places where it helps you, but not necessarily them. It's, it's a lot of it is driven by love, passion, and charity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How has Caribbean music influenced the music business globally? Uh, hugely. Hugely. You know, if we're going to um, think about it, you know, almost every single production um, in the last um, 30 years, 40 years, uh, is Caribbean influence. You know, everything from rap, which has taken over the world, to the influence of um, pop um, or in-pop when you listen to dancehall and we, when you listen to reggae beats and we listen to, to, to soca beats. Um, it's, just, it's just huge. It's just huge. Even content and politics. You know, so we are major, major players globally in the music industry especially when it comes to, to new product and influencing new product. Now, in the past 20 years, but sp- more specifically, I would say the last five years, we seem to be hitting another milestone where pop music has taken on a very Caribbean sound. Now, in the past, many Caribbean artists were embraced, whether Sean Paul, before him Shabba Ranks, Maxi Priest, uh, uh, Rupi, uh, Kevin Little, they would be a part of the wave when the wave uh, embraced Caribbean music. This round, it seems as if the wave has left Caribbean artists out of the equation. What do you what What do you say to that? Well, I'm not a big consumer of internet music, but I'll tell you this much. Um, the world always comes back to the Caribbean uh, when it needs a refresher and it needs inspiration and it needs a dose of truth. And uh, what um, happened the other day with that Beanie Man and uh, Bounty Killer Bounty Killer show, you know, uh, was an eye opener for, for people who just doesn't understand uh, how it works. Again, here you go, the United States of America reaching into Jamaica for vibe, you know, for inspiration, for um, what's happening. And it's not what I say, but the numbers, the numbers tell you that story. Five hundred thousand. Right, right, which is phenomenal. You know, like who are these people? You know, so um, it's always been the same. You know, it's kind of like we generate ideas and people reach in and they're inspired by our ideas. Now, explain why should governments, particularly in the Caribbean, and I know you've had a big part to play in advocating, but why should governments invest in the arts? They invest in everything else. They put children to school to turn them out at the other end to supply labor for every other industry. Good point. <laughs> but why? I mean, I think the writing is on the well, wall. Listen, government, government, government spend more money everywhere else, except in, in culture, specifically in music. You know, government um, spend millions and millions of dollars on travel to get you to come to Angola. They build an airport for that purpose. It's not just for you to come home; it's for people to come visit. Well, I think you know, that- they fix the road. The irony is that, for example, every island has a carnival. So they spend millions of dollars on the marketing, on the stadiums, the speaker systems, the food that's going to be provided, but not on the music, which is the essence well, of the festival. Well, it, it, again, I made that point in a conversation with Banking not too long ago. Sometimes we have to understand um, that we as artists are exposed. I mean, where is our lobby? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean... Um, when you think about NAFTA and you think about the effect that um, technology and streaming and the theft, this outright theft of intellectual property and how it is used and how much money is generated and how little of it actually ends up 
in the hands of those who create the art. I mean, government will not even go as far as protecting the musician, the generation or the generator of, the, of, that, of that product. You're not going to be able to go up to the farm and take the, 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 the farmer's milk. You know, it's a crime. It's a crime. Yeah, it's definitely, um, definitely something to think about. I mean, for all governments, especially governments of small, small states, you know. I don't think the problem is government. I think the problem is selfishness and ego on the side of the music industry and the musicians and the artists and their inability from the onset of time to be able to come together for the benefit of their own future. Okay, government is a willing partner in so many other things that I refuse to believe that they've looked at music and said no. Hmm. Everything else it's because of an interest group that has lobbied and made the point that we are a valuable asset. Now, speaking of... Spe- we, we have, we've never done that globally. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Very good point. Now, tell us about AMP and, and what the vision was for AMP. Speaking of speaking of the relationship between musicians and governments, how, how did AMP, uh, how did that dream come about? Well, again, it's... This is the basis of philanthropy and putting together um, a working model for the creation of a proper music industry in Angola that covered everything from creation to to the use of the creation to the collection of the uh, uh, and generation of the revenue from the creation. So um, full blown, full blown. You know, recognizing that as an Angolian, we know that Angola is very limited. We are a single-tiered um, economy. It's tourism, nothing else. And we have to actively seek and look at ways where we can earn and generate revenue for Angola from different sources. And I always believe that intellectual property, but not just intellectual property, also creating it and figuring out how to, how to use it to generate revenue. So, Devon, speak to the importance of live venues. Critical. It's where you go to sharpen your blade. It's where you go to present your craft. It's where you go to learn how to interact with the audience. It's where you go to get applause. It's where you go to get congratulations. You know, it's where you go um, for somebody to legitimize you as having produced something that has an effect on them the way that you want it to have an effect. It's the concert. It's the concert. And, and live venues are critical. You said live venues are critical. Yeah, yeah. We are, we are it's, it's the show. Let's not forget that this is the show. You can't show without a show. Yeah. I mean, we're in we're in the age we're in an age now where you know, especially given the circumstances of COVID nineteen, that the show has found itself over over Facebook and Instagram and Zoom and everything else. Well, before 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 COVID nineteen, one of the most interesting performers anywhere on the face of the earth is a radio disc jockey. I'm not talking about a disc jockey, you know, at a club with with, with Patreon. I'm talking about a guy wrapped up in a studio with a mindset that the world is listening to him and loving it. They're very, very special people. Mm. And all of a sudden, live performers have had to find themselves in that scenario and create the energy and the vibe in their mind. There's no live audience, so you really have to separate yourself from what the this, this space that you, that you are accustomed to and be... Of course. And activate that imagination. That's very interesting. Of course. I tried it once and I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I always had my, the, the, I want the eyes and the mellow cellars of this world. I'm like, these guys are crazy. Beautifully crazy, but crazy. Amazing. This is not a disjockey at the club. This is a guy locked up in a, in a small room with a bunch of records having the firm belief that the world is listening. Isn't I couldn't convince myself that the world was listening. <laughs> <laughs> now, speaking of venues, um, you're no longer fully into the artist side of things. You've ventured out as an entrepreneur into venues yourself. 
tell us a little bit about Lit Lounge and Aqua Lounge. And for those um, of my listeners who are not from Anguilla, tell them a bit about how Lit Lounge and Aqua Lounge fit into the context of uh, Anguilla as a destination. Well, it's, it, it really is um, the music industry still being involved in the music industry, but not, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, we do what we love. And and when I say we, myself, um, Evan Berry, um, Indiana, you know, it's kind of like um, back in Anguilla, you come off the road in your home and it's kind of like, okay, let's let's do something exciting, but what? And we came up with these two ideas. One was um, Lit Lounge and one was Aqua Lounge. Uh, Lit Lounge is kind of like an open air, kind of loungy, kind of night spot, kind of vibe with fantastic drinks and great music and great staff and most importantly, great vibe. You know, and we've been having a grand time just bringing that to life. And um, Who's performed so and far? Even, oh my goodness. Um, we haven't gone 100% into the live performance yet. You know, we just opened uh, last year. And you know what the situation is with COVID, you know. So, but we've been really doing our DJs, you know, coming in, um, um, Amy, and all, you know, like the really top local musicians. So we've done mostly DJs, but um, we had some really great sets. Um, we we just did this thing at that lounge called um, Live and Interactive, which is really a really cut down performance by um, artists we all know and love, and. We, we did that with Infamous out of St. Kitts and, um, and, and V. Boseman, V. Boseman and, and Infamous. And they were really, really great shows and something that we're going to pick up on immediately, you know, as soon as we get chance post-COVID and, and carry on from there. So uh, it's about being able to get the fan of the music closer to the artist. You know, so really, really intimate and really, really personal. Good stuff, good stuff. Now... Would you change anything in your journey? It would be touchy to say yes, because at the end of the day, I absolutely love where I am. And to be fair, I've always come and go as I pleased. I do something until I'm no longer fascinated with it. So if it isn't where I want it to be, it's not a problem. You know, once I'm learning and once I'm helping people and once I'm having fun, I'm totally cool. And there's absolutely nothing that I can look at um, in my involvement in music and say, I, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, because as I look at myself, I love where I am. You know, I'm back restoring cars. And when COVID opens up, I'm back out on the road with um, the British dependency. I don't know, Chris. I'm totally cool with who I am and what I do. Where did your passion for cars come from? I mean, My dad. Ah. Is there a relationship between music and cars? Uh, definitely. Um, the cars that I'm into, I consider them to be works of art. I get into them and I can see the lines and I can see the engineering and I can see the mentalities and the mindsets and the people and the philosophies behind it. And, you know, um, all of my cars are cars that I consider to have great character and great vibe. And those are two critical things that I also look for in any artist. Wonderful, wonderful. What's next for Davon Carty? Exactly what I'm doing now. You know, Aqua Lounge, Lit Lounge, Restoring Cars, Music, and just loving and loving life. Got it, got it. Oh, if we can go back a little bit, Aqua Lounge is, is a quite the unique concept um, for the Caribbean, I don't. I don't think we touched on that. Aqua Lounge. Aqua Lounge. Aqua Lounge is um, is a floating bar and restaurant done so, like no one else has ever done it anywhere else in the world. How far from the shore um, is it? We right now we're in construction, but when we do go to our site, let's just say that you will be able to swim out to it if you can swim. If not, we can boat you out. Got it. So, so it's a floating bar in the middle of the ocean, and you pull you got up, it. and there's kitchen and drinks and everything on board. Oh, it is awesome. It's, it's a really, really a cool place to be. You know, we go out there, and we work, and at the end of the day, sometimes we just don't want to get off, you know, sit down and just have a beer and just 
enjoy the cool breeze and the sound of the ocean. It is, in my mind, and I'm not saying this, you know, because of my involvement, it's what it does to me personally. You know, like I said to one of the, the, the guys on board today, he said, I don't want to get out. <laughs> and we've been working real hard, you know, like pouring concrete and stuff. And it's just, you have to experience it for yourself, man. You really do. You have to come out and just take your shoes off and crawl onto a beanbag and just listen to music and have a drink. And it's not no loud pumping. It's not a party boat. It's not a party boat. It's where you come to, to let's put it this way. It's where you come to fix your shit. Just relax. <laughs> I look forward. I look forward. Now, what is your... You're always welcome, my brother. What is your ultimate, ultimate goal? At the end of all this, what is that thing that you say would like to accomplish? Oh, I have no ultimate goals, man. I just get up every day and enjoy life. Who does that? <laughs> no, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't have that much control over the universe, man. If I had ultimate goals, I've accomplished all of them already. Every single one. Love it, love it. Now, Davon, this is a, this is a part of the interviews where I, I I like to say I like to strap on my um my spacesuit and jump out into the atmosphere and. I leave you alone on planet 30 and the floor is yours. What would you like to tell the listeners? Anything. Man, just live and love and know that every single day when the sun goes down and the moon rises and you go to bed, it's got blanche, man. It's a new page. Starting all over again. So don't carry too much stress and don't carry too much worry and let time do its work let it heal you and let it give you the opportunity to have the universe deliver to you what it has planned for you and that's it my brother well said well said Devon how do we contact you how do we stay in touch with you you know what are your socials oh uh, man you know what I'm on Instagram as Devon Carty I'm at um, Facebook as Davon Carty. Um, my email is davon.carty at me.com. And just, just Google me. All the information is there. And Lit Lounge? Lit Lounge is Lit AXA. And also just Google Lit Lounge Angola. You're going to find that there. The same thing for Aqua Lounge. Just Google Aqua Lounge Angola. You're going to find that. Awesome. Davon, thank you so much for joining me on Planet 30. You're welcome, my brother, anytime. Perfect. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com.